Hey, Pastor Sean here. Thank you so much for checking out our sermons online. I want to let you know whether this is your first time watching one of our sermons or you're just reviewing a sermon that you've heard here on the campus. I will welcome you, but I do want to let you know we have a core value at Coastal Community Church, and that core value is that you find a local church to be a part of. And so uh, if this, hopefully this sermon series or this sermon is supplementing your spiritual growth, but I want to encourage you to find a, a local church. If you live in the Yorktown, Virginia area, we would love for you to visit us. We have three services, uh, 8 o'clock, 9, 30, and 11, and we meet at 101 Village Avenue. Thank you so much for checking out this sermon online. I hope it encourages your walk and your journey with Jesus Christ. Give me Trust what you say that you're good and your love is great. Well, good morning. I can't see you, but I will shortly as the lights come up. Let's get into the good stuff as we have an hour less of sleep to work with. Let's uh, get into the good stuff. Genesis chapter 18 and 19. We're going to read Genesis 19, but I want to give you the second half of Genesis 18. Last week, Pastor Sean did a masterful job as the Lord appearing to Abraham. Their three men came to him. Well, they divided up and they went to Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham, in chapter 18, verse 22, the men turn and they went to Sodom. But Abraham stood and talked with the Lord. And Abraham drew near, said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. And so Jesus and God have the, I mean, sorry, Abraham and God have this conversation. And this conversation takes place because of the weak, weakness and the wickedness of man. And he starts with 50. And then he said, you wouldn't destroy it if there was 50. Then he goes to 45. And then he goes to 40. Then he goes to 30. Then he goes to 10. And I think at 10 he got a little embarrassed. And the Lord each time relents and says, yes, if there's 50, I won't destroy it. If there's 45, I won't. 40, I won't. 30, I won't. 20, I won't. 10, I won't. Destroy it. And at the very end of, verse 18, of chapter 18... For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. Verse 33, and the Lord went his way, and when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. So you've got the Lord, and you have these two angels. In verse 19, verse 1, we pick up the story. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom, When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, and all the people, 
to the last man surrounded the house. And they called the lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him and said, I beg you, brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. Lot was trying to be hospitable there. Verse 9. But they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. Then the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here, sons-in-laws, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city, bring them out of this place, of the place. For we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life, do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills lest you be swept away. And Lot said to him, Oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. And he said to them, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city was called Zor. Verse 23, The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zor. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven, and he overthrew those cities and all the valleys and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on, and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord, and he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked out, and behold, a smoke of the land went out like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow. When he overthrew the cities in which Lot 
had lived. Now, verses 30 through 38 talks about Lot and him fathering his own grandchildren. It's pretty tragic. If you'd like to read that further, you can. Let's pray. Precious Father, we come before you now, and Lord, help us to understand your character. You are 100% loving, but you are also 100% holy. You are 100% merciful, but you are also 100% just. And Lord, we ask, Lord God, that you would conform us into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, that you would teach us your word, that we would open our eyes to see and our ears to hear, Lord. Take your word and use it to divide between the bone and the marrow and the soul and the spirit, Lord God, through the power of your Holy Spirit. And as always, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Interesting story that we're going to look at here as Pastor Sean spoke about what had happened. It's interesting, we're looking at sin versus righteousness. Righteousness will always win because Christ is one and He is the righteous one. And what's interesting here is I think is the weaknesses though. The weaknesses of men. The weaknesses of Lot and the weaknesses of Abraham. Where Abraham's trying to negotiate with God because he doesn't want to see the righteous destroyed. And then the weaknesses of Lot, where Lot then becomes part of Sodom, the city of Sodom that's to be destroyed. By means of introduction, it's interesting to see in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 that God understands our weaknesses. In fact, He calls us jars of clay. Psalm 103, verse 14, David writes that the Lord is mindful and that He remembers that He created us from the dust. God is all too familiar with our weaknesses. Now, how do we respond to our weaknesses in our life? Oftentimes, we all have them, but we try to hide them sometimes, or we ignore them, or we downplay them in our lives. Sometimes we just plain old justify them. Now, weaknesses aren't sin, although our weaknesses can become sin. But weaknesses are all around us and we all have them. I remember a couple of weeks ago I had spent um, some time in Pennsylvania with my youngest daughter, Grace. She had played this field hockey tournament and it was her and I and we had a great time and there wasn't a whole lot to do where we were. And so I worked out a lot. I ate right and I had lost about five pounds and I was feeling pretty strong and, and, I, and I drive back and I was telling my wife... And I, my wife and I meet at Home Depot. She was picking something up. And Grace and I are coming and we see her from a distance. And Stone runs to me and I give him a big hug. And Grace runs to her, her mother, gives her a hug. And then Holly and I had that moment where we catch each other's eyes. You know? You know what I'm talking about? And then I start walking. And you know how you kind of give that walk? Because I had been working out and I lost five pounds. So I wanted her to know. And so I'm walking to her like this, and we're having this moment. My wife is smiling, and I'm smiling as we're getting closer, and my, my 11-year-old daughter kind of hits her mother on the side and says, he's totally sucking in his stomach. 
And right there in that moment, I realized my weaknesses are exposed. And I'm going to be sucking in my stomach the rest of this time as you look at me. Here's the deal. We all have weaknesses and we all try to hide them. We all try to deal with them differently. And Lot had his own weaknesses and God is familiar with our weaknesses. The issue is when our weaknesses then become sins or we do sin because of our weaknesses. And so let me, by means of introduction, Sodom and Gomorrah were on the Jordan River. Let me give you some background of where geographically they, they are in the plain just above the current Dead Sea. It was compared to the Garden of Eden at the time. If you've ever been there, if you've ever been to Israel, and you've ever seen the Dead Sea and the area around it, it is a desert. It is scorched earth. There is nothing growing there. Jude 1.7, but at this time it was the Garden of Eden. Jude 1.7 spoke of the immorality and wickedness of these cities where Lot and his family eventually made their home. I want to read a scripture here. Jude 1.7 says, Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. It was well known, and if you look through Scripture, Sodom and Gomorrah are spoken as a place of great wickedness and immorality. The, the, the inhabitants were sinful. In fact, there were not ten righteous people there. Had there been, it, God would have relented. But Abraham loved Lot and even pleaded for Sodom and Gomorrah for the sake of the righteous. Why was that? Because Lot had been Abraham's nephew, and Lot being a righteous one, how do we know that Lot was righteous? We don't. All we know is that God declared Lot righteous. It's the same way as this. How do we know we're righteous? Because of Jesus Christ, God declares us righteous. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to God's mercies, He saved us. It's not what we do, not any act that we do. It's by the entire work of Jesus Christ, Him and Him alone is responsible for our salvation. And there's nothing we can do to add to it or take away from it. It rests solely upon the Lord. There's four things I want you to see from this story there's four things that I want you to kind of grab onto. And it's this. Every person can successfully walk with Christ in righteousness if they recognize the four truths about sin from Lot's life. There were four things that happened in Lot's life that we're going to look at here in Scripture that are going to demonstrate to us that Lot, being a righteous one, fell into. And you might be here today and you might be saved but you might have fallen into something. You might, have been, you might be overtaken by something right now. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's gossip. Maybe it's lying. Maybe there's a sin in your life that you have embraced. And you're justifying it. That weakness now has become justified. And here's the reality. The reality is this. You have to do something with that sin. You either confess that sin or... God will deal with that sin. 
And God will deal with you in that sin. But let's look at this passage of Scripture here. Four truths. Truth number one is we will always be drawn into sin if we isolate ourselves. This is really important to understand. Lot and Abraham were together. God gives Lot and Abraham an opportunity to be able to split. Lot chooses the great land, the Garden of Eden land. Sodom and Gomorrah as it was compared to the Garden of Eden where these cities were. And Abraham took the worst of the land. And Lot had isolated himself. Lot had set off in the wrong direction in Genesis 13, 11. He set his tents facing up to Sodom in Genesis 13, 12. And then, he, and then in Genesis 19, 1, we see that he's sitting at the gates of Sodom and he makes his home in Sodom. There was a progression here where as he isolated himself from his righteous Abraham, his righteous uncle Abraham, he was drawn continually into sin. Not just him, but his entire family. Which communicates this. This is a little plug for small groups. If you're not in a small group, Pastor Sean, myself, all of us here at Coastal believe that you need to be in a small group. Because as a Christian, if you are isolated from being in a small group, a small group of Christians, you're not going to be encouraged and you're not going to grow. In fact, what's going to happen is that void is going to be filled in with something else. Usually something sinful or some ungodly people. When you isolate yourself, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, look what it says. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. If you've ever watched the National Geographic channels and there's the lions, the lions don't attack the herd all at once. What do they usually do? They find that straggler that's kind of wandered off or fallen behind. And the lionesses surround it. And then the lionesses pounce on it. And they eat the, the whatever it is, the antelope or the wildebeest or whatever it is. Why? Because they've drifted away from the herd. And the lionesses then prowl. And the Bible says that the devil walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he lets off a roar to let all the other animals know before he's eating, I'm here, I'm eating. God has put us together. God has herded us together. He has brought us together so that we would encourage each other and love each other in righteousness. That's why connect, grow, serve. Connect in corporate worship. If you're not in church every week, let me encourage you. You need to be in church every week so that you can be encouraged in your relationship with Jesus Christ so that you can walk in Christ. So that you, otherwise, what's going to happen? Sin is going to be waiting at the doorstep. Sin is going to creep in. But let's look at this. I believe that Lot was lonely. Loneliness is a powerful need that causes us to look anywhere for acceptance and relationship. Loneliness is not a sin. In fact, loneliness occurred in the garden before Adam and Eve had sinned. Adam was there in the garden by himself before Eve was created, and God said it's not good for man to be alone. But loneliness is a powerful need. It causes us to look anywhere for acceptance and relationship. What we do with our loneliness, that's oftentimes when we fall into sin. 
In fact, Lot was lonely. Why do I think Lot struggled with loneliness? Because when Lot was ordered to leave Sodom, he didn't want to go into the hills by himself. He wanted to go to a small village called Zor. He wanted to be with people. And the second thing is that Lot wanted, I believe, acceptance. The loneliness, oftentimes, so that you don't remain lonely, so that you can continue on in relationship, you start to compromise in your relationships. You start to compromise in what's acceptable and not acceptable because you're constantly looking for social acceptance. And it's true in our society today. People don't want to be called names or shamed. People don't want to be made fun of. So they're looking for acceptance. So they will embrace untruth or they will say nothing when untruth is spoken as truth because they want acceptance. And acceptance at times can be an insatiable need that will cause us to embrace even the most wicked people. Proverbs chapter 27 verse 7 says this, going to come up here in a second. Proverbs 27, 7, one who is full loathes honey, but to the one who is hungry, everything bitter is sweet. Translation, when you're starving for relationship, bad relationships better than no relationship. Translated, if you're single here today and you're looking for someone to love you, bad love's better than no love. And so therefore the compromise can come in and you will compromise what you know to be true, what you know to be right for the sake of loneliness, to fill that void and acceptance. And Lot did what any of us would have done. He looked for people. He wanted to be connected. It's why we come together. We need to come together to encourage each other. It's why you need to be in small group. And you can either find it here or you can find it someplace else. But in someplace else, you're going to have to compromise who you are and who Christ and what Christ has done for you. Number two, what was the second truth about sin from Lot's life? The second truth is we will eventually normalize sin in our lives when we surround ourselves with sin. Now, Lot didn't call them evil people for all these men coming around wanting to know the men in his home, the angels in his home. No, he was normalized, it had been normalized and he was used to it. In fact, he even knew, that's why he begged the men to not sleep in the city square, but to come into his house. He was showing great hospitality. You come into my house because he knew what would happen if they were out there. But the sin had become so normal to him. He had desensitized himself. And oftentimes when we are in the midst of sinful people, we can desensitize ourselves. Now, here's the deal. I'm not saying don't have any relationship with unbelievers or people that are sinful. In fact, you're not going to get fornication on you if you're having coffee with somebody who's a lost person. Ooh, I got a little fornication on me. I'm going to get contaminated. That's not what I'm saying. In fact, I have lost people in my life that I absolutely love and I have a long-term relationship with them because I want them to come to know Jesus because he's the greatest thing that's ever happened to me and I hope he's the greatest thing that's ever happened to you. 
And I sit down with them and I talk with them. And, and they, they want to tell me their problems. And they always look at me and go, this is how they preface it. And they, they, they're looking for advice. And they, they always preface it this way. Because I'm, I'm an ongoing relationship. I know you're going to tell me to ask God to forgive me for my sins and to invite Jesus in my heart. I know that. But after that, what advice would you give? Because I want them to know my Jesus, and the problem that they have is a spiritual one. It's not a physical one. It's not a relational one. It's not an emotional one. It's a spiritual problem, and they need Christ to save them and redeem them. But it, it's not so normalized that I'm part of them, one of them, but yet I have a secret. It's Christ, and I don't want to tell them about it. No, they know who I am. They know what I'm about, and they know that I love them anyway. And that's what it is to have a relationship with the world. It's to constantly live in a way that they would know your Jesus and use your words. We must preach the gospel, church, using our words. How will they know Jesus unless we tell them? It's more than just living our lifestyle a certain way. Because like you, inevitably we're going to stumble, but they're watching. And what happened? Lot knew the men were wicked, but he offered his daughters to appease them. And I looked at that and I said, are you kidding? I have two daughters. There is no way. And I got all self-righteous as I was reading this. But then I started thinking, you know what, without Christ... We're capable of just the same thing. And some of us might think, oh, no, I would never do that. Listen, I went to Thailand about a month ago, and we're there amongst the trash dumps, and there's these little villages in these trash dumps. And there's these families, and I'm sitting, and I'm having a conversation with the missionary, and the missionary says this. He says, what breaks my heart is the fact that these families are here and there's no hope for them. There's no way that these kids can go to school. There's nothing that can happen for these people. Although there are some things that are starting to happen, but there's nothing for these people. And oftentimes parents sell one of their daughters to sex traffickers so they can feed the rest of their family. And we all go, And they're in this place, and they, they don't know what to do, and so that's what they do. But by the grace of God, go I. And then they go and they try to rescue some of these girls that have been sold into this lifestyle, and the girls, all they know is the trash dump and the fact that they're selling their bodies is far better lifestyle than that what they were living in. And they don't want to go back, and they don't want to leave the lifestyle. Go figure. And it's normalized. And Lot had become desensitized, so he offers his daughters to appease them. If you're taking notes, write this down. If not for Christ, all of us would end up like Sodom and Gomorrah. 
if not for Christ, we would be in those situations to make these judgment calls. And church, that's, that's why we have to go to Thailand. It's why we have to go to Zimbabwe. It's why we have to go to Honduras and Bolivia. It's why we have to go to these places. To show them the love of Jesus Christ, not just with our words, but to take these children and to put them in these schools. There's this church, this little Thai church of 150 people, and they saw the need that was going on, and they said, Jesus wants us to do something. So they opened up a school. They took their church building and made a school. They have 300 of these children, these trash children, come in so that they can learn the language, so they can go to school, because they're not allowed to go to school unless they learn the language, because most of them are refugees that are living in the trash dumps. And they come in and they're teaching them and they feed them two meals a day and they show them the love of Jesus and they say, here's an opportunity so the parents don't have to make that decision. And it's 150 Thai people that don't make hardly anything every day. And they said, the need is so great, we have to do something, we're going to do it and God's just going to have to provide for us. And when just when they, just, the pastor was talking and he said, just before we think we're going to run out of money, God totally provides and we're there going, what? What? But if not for Christ, we would all end up like Sodom and Gomorrah. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, But he that knew no sin became sin for us, that we might know, or we might be, or we might become the righteousness of God. Christ is who makes us righteous. Christ is who declares us righteous. That's where our righteousness is. It's not in the fact that we think that we're better than these people. It's the fact that God has saved us. And so therefore, how can we make sin a normal part of our life? Christ died on the cross for our sins. Tim Keller said this, the gospel is this. He's a pastor in New York. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hoped. If not for Christ, we too would be drawn into what's going on. If not for each other, encouraging each other and sharpening each other, we too would desensitize ourselves Number three, the third truth in this sin process is we can know that God protects the righteous, but the unrepentant sinner will perish. After those Lot warned, they mocked him. See, Lot warned them, his future son-in-laws, and got, they mocked him. They thought he was joking. Now, I don't know why that was. We, the Bible doesn't really go into that. They thought he was jesting. <laughs> She's just kidding. Lot really doesn't mean this. He's one of us. See, Lot had lived so close to what was going on there in Sodom that when he was speaking the truth, they thought it was a joke. When you are un, 
communicative about the gospel of Jesus Christ in your life to your friends, and then something tragic happens in their life and you communicate to them the gospel, my question is, how will they respond? Will they think you're mocking? They think you're joking? They won't take you serious? Or because of the way that you've spoken to them consistently and the way that you've been living consistently in their life, they look and they said, yes, what you speak is the truth. We know that the Lord protects the righteous, but the unrepentant sinner will perish. Lot still hesitated to leave. Even though that Lot hesitated to leave, God still pulled him out. Psalm 1 verse 6 says this, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. God protects his righteous. But those that are unrepentant, sinners will perish. Isn't that what John 3.16 is all about? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Will not perish perish. Number four, we will still know the consequences of sin, even in our salvation, until Jesus Christ returns. So what happened, Lot gets drug out with his family. Sodom and Gomorrah is absolutely destroyed, not just the city, but the land and everything surrounding it. Fire and sulfur rain down from heaven. And Lot loses his everything that he owns, his, all of his possessions. He loses his friends, quote-unquote, his friends. He loses his wife. His wife looks back, longing for that, and turns into a pillar of salt after she disobeyed what the angels had said to her. And he lost his daughters, how he fathered his own grandchildren because they get him drunk and they have an incestuous relationship with him. The consequences of sin remained in Lot's life, although God did bring salvation to him. It's a reminder that because of sin, the wages of sin is death. That all sin is destructive and it's destroying. And if there's sin in your life and you're holding on to it, and even if it's a nice little pet sin that you keep in a little designer carry-on bag and go on the plane with, and you take out, even if it's one of those, you know, friendship little, you know, what is it, one of the security, little security animals sins, just know that There are consequences for sin. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. The Apostle Paul writes in Galatians, whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. No, we will still know the consequences of our sin, even in our salvation, but it's Jesus Christ, but until Jesus Christ returns, when Jesus Christ returns, then all of the consequences, everything will be dissipated. Oh, how I long for Christ to return. Why? Because this life is not what it's all about. In fact, this life is temporary. The Bible says in James that it's a vapor. It's here for a moment and gone. Only one life and it soon will pass. Only what's done for Christ 
will last. But when Jesus Christ returns, all things will be made new. Jesus makes all things new. Revelation 21.4, let's look at the passage. It says, He will wipe every tear away, every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall be, there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Why? Because Jesus Christ makes all things new. And He can make us new. And we don't have to be enslaved to sin anymore. We don't have to continue to embrace these things anymore. We have Christ. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. It's a struggle. Is this life a struggle? Yes, and I am not denying that. It is a struggle. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in The Cost of Discipleship, who died during World War II, he wrote this. He was a pastor in Nazi Germany. When all is said and done, the life and faith, the life of faith is nothing if not an unending struggle of the spirit with every available weapon against the flesh. The average person spends three hours a day watching television or on digital media. Imagine what our society would look like if Christians spent their three hours with the Lord reading his word. We must make time for the things that are important in life. Without the time for the important, sin waits at the door of our lives and we'll be all too happy to fill the void. Sorry this isn't a happy, happy sermon. But it's a happy, happy sermon if you know Jesus. Because Jesus is the one that can save us from this. He's the only one. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. The consequences sometimes of our sin remain. It's, it's a friend of mine who passed away from AIDS. He lived a horrible lifestyle, doing drugs and, and living as sexually promiscuous as possible with men, women, everything. And he comes to know Christ, and he saw the redemption of Christ, but he had full-blown AIDS it cost him his life temporarily, but he had eternal life, and so I know that I'll see him again. Because if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. We live for the eternal. We don't live for the temporary. The Bible says heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will remain. Christ is forever. He's eternal. Those that don't know Jesus Christ, they can invite Christ into their life and they can be saved. And it doesn't matter what you've done, past, present, or future. It doesn't matter what you think that God can't forgive you or God can't deliver you from the sin that you have in your life. I'm here to tell you, God can and will deliver you. Call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. He's the only one. He will deal with those sins and you either confess your sins, and he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins, or you deal with those sins before God on judgment day. Romans 8.1 says, if anyone is in Christ, there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. If you're in Christ Jesus, guess what? God will continually deal with those things until you get to spend an eternity with him. 
And so those pet sins that you have, confess them over and over and over again. Get in a small group. Get with some other Christians. Get with some people that will encourage you in that relationship with Jesus Christ. Come to church on Sunday mornings so that you would encourage and strengthen and sharpen each other. And if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, it's very simple. You invite Christ into your life. There's nothing you can do that warrants salvation. It's Christ did it all and you believe and receive. You just invite him into your life to save you. And he will save you. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, very simply, and I do this every time I speak, Because I want someone, if there's somebody here that doesn't know Jesus, they simply say, Jesus, come into my life and save me. And the Bible says that I will come in. That he will come in and he will save you and he will make you his son and daughter. Call upon the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. If you don't know Jesus, it's my prayer that you would come to know him. If you don't know Jesus, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray a prayer. It's not the prayer that saves you. It's your attitude to the Lord. It's the Lord drawing you and you responding and saying, yes, Lord, come into my life and save me. And so with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, don't leave here without settling the fact that Jesus Christ is your righteousness. Jesus Christ is. Is your God. And so very simply, pray this prayer to the Lord. Say, dear Lord, please forgive me for my sins. Come into my life and save me. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and rose again from the grave. And by faith, I invite you into my life. Thank you for saving me. Now, precious Father, all those that prayed that prayer, I pray, Lord God, that you would seal that decision through the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray that, Lord God, you would come into their lives and inhabit their lives and cleanse them from all unrighteousness. They've repented, they've confessed. And Lord Jesus, now I pray that you would abide in there. For the Christian, Lord God, that's enslaved to sin, for the Christian here that is in bondage, Lord God, to a sin in their life, Lord God, that is in the struggle, the constant struggle against the flesh, I pray, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, that you would give them Christian brothers and sisters to come around them, to encourage them, to to pray with them, to hold them up. I pray that you would deliver them and they would gain freedom, Father, from the sin that they have in their life. For those that are here, Lord God, that are struggling, Lord God, I pray that you would come and comfort them in their weakness. That the weaknesses that they have in their life, Lord God, that they would glory in them, Father, because of your son, Jesus Christ, who takes the weaknesses, Lord God, and he deals with them. He accounts for them, and you make us strong in the midst of our weakness through the power of your Holy Spirit and your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it's truth. Change us and transform us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.